Divine Healing. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 8. So, Father, help us keep the Word of God surrounding us in our life, in our minds. Let it be our minds be renewed. Let the Word of God be applied to all of our life, Lord. So, Father, we thank you for your Word in this session. We thank you that the will of God is being disclosed to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're just going to quickly go through Paul's thorn, okay? Paul's thorn is something that always comes up, and I... I could possibly read another passage. I mean, uh, there's an entire sermon in here at Bosworth on uh, Paul's thorn back in here. I don't think I'll read anything of it, but what I, I'll tell you what, I might just read the first paragraph or so, something so you can. Uh, he says, one of the most prevalent objections raised today against the ministry of healing is Paul's thorn in the flesh. One traditional idea has led to another. There is a widespread teaching that God is, in fact, the author of disease and that he has chosen some of the most devout of his children to remain sick to glorify him by exhibiting their fortitude and patience. This has no doubt led to the idea that Paul had a sickness that God refused to heal. We do not believe that anyone who would take time to read all that God has to say on the subject of healing could ever form such a conclusion. I am quick to admit that equally devout men may hold contrary views, not only on this point, but on the whole subject of divine healing. But it is merely a matter of study and investigation. Many good men whose teaching has been that the age of miracles is past, etc., while reading the scriptures have thoughtlessly passed over the Bible teaching on healing, believing it is not applicable for our day. Nearly all who have spoken and written against us have not hesitated to use our name and, quote, go after us with hammer and tong. <laughs> but they never have attempted to answer the scriptural arguments that we present in our sermons on the subject. We have carefully, without mentioning their names, read their statements publicly and answered them from the scriptures. If we were fighting against flesh and blood, we would name them and go after them with a vengeance, but this would not be Christ-like. We feel disposed to keep our hands off God's servants and let him fight our battles for us. And uh, anyhow, so he, he begins to speak in here, but like I just read that to say that there's tons and tons of things about Paul's thorn that you continue to hear. Even many people in Christianity today, they, it's part of their vocabulary. They'll jokingly say, well, that's my thorn in the flesh. But let's just look at the scripture and see that in context. And uh, to do that, we need to turn to the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, if you would, please. And um, I don't want to read, like I said, all of this, but you need to back up to see something here that's very important that a lot of people miss. So in 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, um, Paul, if you look right in, let me look at the first few verses of chapter 11. Uh, the third verse is one of my favorite verses to, te well, it's an important verse to teach on, but Paul starts this whole statement here that the church of Corinth, he said in chapter 11, verse 1, I wish you would bear with me while I indulge in a little so-called foolishness. Do bear with me. For I am zealous for you with a godly eagerness and a divine jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband 
that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But now I am fearful, lest that even as, remember you guys have probably heard me teach this, lest that even as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, so your minds may be corrupted and seduced from wholehearted and sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For you seem readily to endure it if a man comes and preaches another Jesus than the one we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you once received, or a different gospel from the one you then received and welcomed. You tolerate all that well enough. Yet I consider myself as in no way inferior to these precious extra super false apostles, it says in the King in the, in the Amplified. He said, but even if I, verse six says, but even if I am unskilled in speaking, yet I am not unskilled in knowledge, I know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's pretty bold here. He said, I know what I'm talking about. We've made this evident to you in all things. And then he goes on to share, but now let's come on down. Verse 12, he said, but what I do, I will continue to do, for I'm determined to maintain his independence in order to cut off the claim of those who would like to find an occasion and an incentive to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms that we do. For such men are false apostles, counterfeits, spurious, deceitful workmen that are masquerading as apostles and special messengers of Christ. Verse 14, and he said, it is no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So, Verse 15, it is not surprising if his servants also masquerade as ministers of righteousness, but their end will correspond with their deeds. Verse 16, I repeat then, let no one think I've lost my wits, but even if you do, then bear with the witless man so that I too may boast a little. Now look at verse 17. Verse 17 is on the outline. In the King James, I'll read it from the King James, then I'll read it from the Amplified. Paul said, that which I'm speaking, or what I'm about to speak, Listen, he flat says, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. And the Amplified does a real good job as far as the Greek. It says, what I say by way of this confident boasting, I am not, I say not with the Lord's authority. I say not with the Lord's authority by inspiration, but as, but as it were in pure witlessness. And he goes, and that introduces this whole thing that begins to come down here. Now, He's about to defend, in other words, and he said that because he said, I feel like I've been put in the position that I have to defend myself as an apostle of Christ. And he said, all these people are saying things about us and what have you. And so he said, starting verse 22, he said, they are Hebrews, so am I. They are Israelites, so am I. They are descendants of Abraham, so am I. Are they ministering servants of Christ, the Messiah? I am talking, and he keeps throwing this in, I am talking like one beside himself. In other words, he's really uncomfortable that he has to go through all this. He said, I am talking like one beside himself, but I am more, and if, if they're a minister for Christ. In other words, it's hard for him to have to boast, but like he said, he's having to boast in Christ. But he said, I am more. Now he gives this long list, and let me just introduce this right here. There are two major lists in scripture of what Paul went through, okay? Now we're talking about Paul's sore in the flesh. Now, we're, nobody is saying, nobody, the Bible says that all of us are tempted, tested, and tried. You know, there's no temptation taken man, but such as common to men. Now remember the word temptation there, literally is the word test or trial. So when you read that, it says, there is no temptation or test or trial taken you 
but such is common to all men. But then really remember this. It says, but God is not capable of being tempted and neither will he tempt, test, or try any man with evil. Now that's an important word study to do because the word evil there, and we're not teaching it, but you can, if you're taking notes or looking up later, is the word, it's evil. It's spelled K-A-K-O-S is the transliteration from the Greek. That word evil, everywhere else in scripture is translated sickness, pure and simple sickness, evil. God will never tempt, test, or try anybody with sickness. That's what it says, flat out. But what I wanted to say now about all this list and this first list here that Paul's about to talk about, all the things that he went through, it's interesting of all the things that Paul takes the time, like he said, to, to feel embarrassed about having to, uh, to validate his own apostleship and his own servanthood to Christ. He said, uh, all the things that I've gone through, I'm just saying, why is it, I mean, it's, it's interesting that of all the things that he speaks to, not once is sickness mentioned. Now, what I started to say is, to be sure, I don't, I would think that I, nobody is saying that he may not have been tested with some sickness. But the issue is, we're trying to speak against this argument about, well, I besought the Lord three times and it wouldn't leave me. And all these people that are saying that he had this horrible eye disease that we're going to get to. But I'm just saying, we're not saying that Paul might not have been tempted with sickness, but you have to say it's significant that when he takes the time to speak from, not under the massive inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but to speak from his apostleship, that he doesn't mention of all the things he goes through, I mean, why wouldn't he? I mean, if you were talking about all the trials you went through in the last 15 years, you might talk about when you lost your job, uh, when you were in that car wreck, uh, when I got, and when I had cancer, and whatever, all the things that you beat, you know, all the things that you came through, you would mention surely something like that, in particular if it was some horrific thing that just hounded your life forever, which is the argument that people always use that speak about Paul's thorn in the flesh being a sickness. They say it's something that he carried with him forever, and they take some scriptures out of context that we're gonna just glance at, because I don't wanna spend the whole, you know, I'm gonna spend like half of this session on this and get to something else. Okay, let me read now from verse um, 23, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. He said, are they ministering servants of Christ? He said, I am talking like one beside himself, but I am more with far more extensive and abundant labors, with far more imprisonments. I was beaten with countless stripes, frequently at the point of death. Five times I received from the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, all but one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. I always laugh, people say, I'd like to be an apostle just like Paul. <laughs> Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I've been aboard a ship, wrecked at sea. A whole night and a day I've spent adrift on the deep. Many times on journeys I was exposed to perils from rivers, perils from bandits, perils from my own nation, perils from the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in the desert places, perils in the sea, perils from those posing as believers but destitute of Christian knowledge. Verse 27, in toil and hardship, watchings often through sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, frequently driven to fasting by want in cold and exposure and lack of clothing. Verse 28, 
And besides those things that are without, in other words, that have happened on the outside, there's the daily inescapable pressure of my care and anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel his weakness? Who is made to stumble and fall and have his faith hurt? And I'm not on fire with sorrow or indignation sometimes. I love that. And when you really study that out, Paul says there were times that his faith was put to the test. I mean, that encourages me. <laughs> you know what I mean? If Paul, this incredible apostle of Christ, could say, there are times, man, he said, who is made to stumble and fall and have his faith hurt? And he said, and I have not been on fire with sorrow and indignation about some things that were going on. He said, but if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my infirmities. Now here's where in the King James says, I will rather glory in my infirmities. And people that translate this other ways and speak against healing will say, well, there it says right there. See, he glories in his sickness. But remember the word infirmity. It's Anna, I can't spell it. Anna, Anna, A-N-I, I can't even say, Anadia. The word doesn't ever mean sickness. The word infirmity means, quote, the inability to produce results. The inability to produce results. He said, I would rather glory. Now listen to it in that light. He said, I would rather glory in my infirmity of the things by which I'm made weak and contemptible in the eyes of my opponents. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ knows he who is blessed and to be praised forever that I do not lie. And then he finishes by saying, in Damascus, the city governor acting under King Eratus guarded the city of Damascus on purpose to arrest me. I was actually let down in a rope basket or hamper through a window, small door, and I escaped through his fingers. Now we read all that to say that all of this is one letter. And now he goes into the 12th chapter and he begins to talk about himself in the first several verses. You hear me quote this all the time. This is where he shares it. He said, I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I knew not that was caught up into the third heaven. And he heard things that says here in um, verse four, he said, I was caught up. He was caught. And he always speaks of it. This is speaking of himself when they, when they speak that. It's a common knowledge that when they said, I know a man, that they were speaking of themselves. But it says, I was caught up into paradise, heard utterances beyond the power of man to put into words, which man is not permitted to utter. And he said, of this same man's experience, I will boast, but of myself personally, I will not boast except as regards my infirmities. Should I desire to boast, I shall not be a witness braggart, for I shall be speaking the truth. Now watch this. Verse seven. And to keep me... Wait a second, I need to read the, the final part of verse six. He said, but I abstain from it. I, let me read the whole verse. He said, oh, verse, let me, I gotta read verse five again, I'm sorry. He said, of this man's experiences, I will boast, but of myself, I will not boast, except as regards my infirmities, my weaknesses. Should I desire to boast, I shall not be a witness braggart, for I shall be speaking the truth. But I abstain from it so that no one may form a higher estimate of me than is justified by what he sees in me or hears from me. And to keep me from being puffed up. Now here's where just flat, we get to it. Now listen, now just, I mean, I don't know, even if I, I should have brought my King James or something, but even if you read it in the King James, it's so clear. It says, and to keep me from being puffed up. Now remember, this man was caught up into heaven and was taught by direct revelation of Jesus Christ. We say that over and over again. Galatians, and here's where it says it. This man came, had the power of God so manifested everywhere he went as far as the healings and the things that took place under his ministry. 
And he said, and to keep me from being puffed up and too much elated by the exceeding greatness and the preeminence of these revelations. I always like to stop there because people, when they say, well, I guess this is, I'm, I'm, this is my thorn in the flesh. God's given me this thorn, of the this thorn of the flesh. And I said, interesting. I said, has God given you so many preeminent, powerful revelations that it's necessary for Satan himself to come and inflict you? <laughs> in other words, I don't know if you have enough revelation for God, for Satan to warrant you needing a thorn in, in the flesh, if you know what I mean. Oh, well, you're not hearing me. But he said he was given a thorn in the flesh because of the excessive revelations. In other words, this was something, this man walked in so much truth, walked in so much strength of heaven that something was assigned literally to him to try to break his spirit, to try to get him to back off of the message. But listen to what it says. And to keep me from being puffed up and too much elated by the exceeding greatness and the preeminence of these revelations, there was given me a thorn, a splinter in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. I mean, it just says, what is the thorn in the flesh? A messenger of Satan. The word there's angelos. It's the same word that's used 181 times for, for um, angel seven times for messenger. He said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to rack and buffet me and harass me to keep me from being excessively exalted. Now again, see people say, well, God gave that to him. No, no, no. It says it was a messenger of Satan. Satan sent this. Now three times he said, I called upon the Lord. Now remember all of this, he said he's not speaking this part necessarily under divine revelation, under divine inspiration. <coughs> Three times I called upon the Lord and besought him about this and begged that it might depart from me. I begged that this might depart from me. But look what God's answer was. But God said to me, my grace, especially now that we're teaching covenant as well, my grace, my favor and loving kindness Paul, is enough for you. Now here in the Amplified, I don't quite like how this is, but I'll read it anyhow. But he said to me, my grace, my favor and loving kindness is enough for you. It's sufficient against any danger and enables you to bear the trouble manfully. For my strength and power are made perfect and fulfilled and completed and they show themselves most effective in your weakness when you're weak, when your own flesh is weak. Therefore, Paul said, I will all the more glory in my weaknesses and in my infirmities, my inability to produce results by myself. That, see, you gotta read. I will glory in my infirmities that the strength and the power of Christ may rest, yes, may pitch a tent over that the strength and the power of Christ might rest and pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. See, a lot of people say, well, the things never stop bothering him. But when God says my grace is sufficient, one of the things that's being said there clearly when you read in these books is God is saying, Paul, quit crying unto me. You already have my grace. Deal with it. That's what a lot of translations say. 
you've already been given my grace. In other words, remember it ties in with Romans, who shall ask Christ to come up from down from above or up from beneath? You know, quit asking God to come down and do something. And remember, Paul's talking about himself, how he felt here in his flesh and stuff like this. But anyhow, he said, therefore, I will all the more, all the more, all the more gladly glory in my weakness and infirmities that the strength and the power of Christ may rest. For the sake of Christ, I am well pleased. And I, now listen to this list here again. Well, just part of it, just a small one. For the sake of Christ, I am well pleased. I take pleasure in infirmities. But again, people preach that and say, he said, I'm taking pleasure in my sickness and disease. Now, again, I have to be very, very careful with this because you see, Remember when we teach in the love walk, God loves everybody. He loves you wherever you believe. But like we always say, like I try to say over and over again, but you empower, remember, you empower what you believe. When you believe something, you empower it. If you believe something wrong, that that you believe is still empowered. And we, you know, know like a very famous person, if, if I, well, it's, I, I, and it's not an indictment against anybody, but there's a, like a very, there's some people very, very famous in ministry, very well known, who, for example, their whole life has lived out of a wheelchair. And the, the, the constant message, and they're good people, and I mean, people are blessed by them. I've been blessed by their ministry uh, when they minister and stuff. But when it comes to put, you know, when push comes to shove, like I say, you'll hear them say that I'm in this chair for the encouragement of others and so that God might be glorified in this. I mean, that's what is said. And when you read their dossier and read this stuff, it just flat says that God is being glorified in me by keeping me in this wheelchair. Now, at some point, you have to ask, let me tell you, which would give God more glory, being in that wheelchair or coming out of that wheelchair? Now, you see, you have to be so cautious because people that are in wheelchairs that maybe never will have um, that connection with heaven that allows them to get out, is God going to love them any less? Of course not. Is God going to think any less of them? Of course not. But again, you see, this is the, if you can just please hear me without being emotive about this. You can't find, remember, like I said last hour, you have to clinically approach the scripture. When you find the passages where God said, where Jesus said, but like this, like the blind man, but, or the, the blind person, uh, this isn't unto death, or this isn't for, but for the works of God, that the Father, it says that, he, that the Father might be glorified when Jesus spoke about, when Jesus, and I have to believe that Jesus is a bigger authority than even ministers on earth. <laughs> Jesus said that the Father was glorified only when people were made whole. So again, we have a humanistic definition maybe of how indeed people have indeed been encouraged and been helped to cope with their present circumstances. And that, you know, is a wonderful thing, but a better thing, but a better thing. You see, you have to understand there's the majority of thought and there's the minority of thought, but you have to understand when you read this book, the majority was always wrong. 
This is why I say over and over again, you see, it's so easy to flow with the majority because there's so much less resistance. So much less resistance. But when you begin to press for the best that God has, you come up against masses of, in particular, religious resistance. Because they think you're saying these people don't love the Lord or that God doesn't love them as much or that they're, they're you know, or that. And unfortunately, you see, really, seriously, and I agree, horrifically, unfortunately, when these kind of things were first taught, the way people and teachers and preachers communicated was that it did sound like they were saying that they were condemning them, that, well, you don't have enough faith. You know, you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. That was what was being heard more than an encouragement saying this way. Why couldn't they have just said it this way? You know what? There's more available. There's more available. And more faith is going to help you. You need to get more faith. Faith comes by hearing. Uh, Don't settle for this. You don't have to keep this. You can fight. There's too many, there's too many people that have come out of wheelchairs. Hallelujah. I mean, you know, the Jeffries brothers, one of the most remarkable healing ministries ever was with the Jeffries brothers. That's where the whole Elam church movement started. You know, the Elam church movement started from the ministry of George and Stephen Jeffries in this country. And Jeffries healing ministry was one of the most profound uh, ever recorded and, and the way God used him. I'm probably getting ahead of myself because when I teach on the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be teaching about some of these men. But uh, the way God used Jeffries was he had all, I mean, there were rheumatoid arthritic people that would flood to these meetings in these old, old rickety wheelchairs in those days. And they would have as many as 10, 15 people in wheelchairs totally bound. I mean, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, I mean like this, you know what I mean? And now he only died, I think, in the, in the first of the 50, in the fifth, 1950 or 48 or something like that. They have some old tape, old reel-to-reel tapes of some of his stuff. And when I was at school, like I said, we were at a place where they had, where they taught so much of this and they had these old men that had been alive and worked with these guys. And they would play sometimes some of this one message. And we'll never forget it because it's when he prayed for them. The way he would pray for the sick was he would sing and dance in the spirit and he'd dance around the wheelchair and laugh at the work of the devil. <laughs> That's the way God used him. That's the way he was instructed. But as he did that, you'd hear these screams and you'd hear and the bones would start to snap and pop back into place. He'd have as many, now you gotta understand what it would be like. Today we pray for people. He'd have as many as 10 to 15 totally wheelchair-bound rheumatoid arthritics come out of the chairs totally whole in one meeting. In one meeting. I mean, popping bones and crack and stuff. Now, I'm just saying, what do you think gives God more glory? And so the issue is, I'm saying, there's been too many people come out of wheelchairs. So, but again, are you hearing me? We're not condemning anybody that's in a wheelchair. No more than condemning anybody that's in any sickness or any disease or any calamitous thing like that. But what we are saying is like I keep saying over and over again, you are subliminally taught to accept, aren't you? This is my lot in life. 
and you be, you believe, I'm telling you, you hear something, faith comes by hearing. Again, you hear it long enough and without even realizing it, you accept that this is how you're going to live for the rest of your life. So what do you do? You begin to plan for life with, the, with those restrictions. Well, that's faith. That's corresponding actions that causes even greater manifestation for something to be prolonged. See, it's putting faith in action, but in the totally reverse of what God really desires. But again, I'm gonna say it again before somebody listens to this tape and writes me dirty letters like I get sometimes. Nobody is saying that God doesn't love them. Nobody is saying that God won't love them all the, all the way to heaven in that wheelchair or any other thing. And you know, I mean, like I said, I would never ever judge anybody, but I'm here to teach the Bible, not teach emotion. And I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not standing here saying that, like I said, anything in my life is perfect either, but I am saying I can read. And I've had to choose. The Bible says this, whose report will you believe? Right? Have you ever, any of you been around long enough to remember that old song? Whose report, do you know where the song came from? Whose report will I believe, will you believe? We will, we will believe the report of the Lord. Anybody remember that song at all? It's been around for a long time. Julie actually attended a meeting in California and we had no idea that that song was written by a woman. And this woman shared the story of where the song came from. She was a pastor's wife and they were getting ready to have pictures taken uh, for their family. And they went to have these pictures taken and the proofs came back and her husband just said very innocently, I don't even need to do something with your makeup. So look at that, your, this, your, your, I don't know if it's your left or right, but your eye looks, uh, that eye looks, it looks larger than the other one. You know, you need to put some makeup on it. She said, what? And she looked at it and she said, well, you know, it does look a little larger than the other one. And she said she didn't think anything about it, but the more she looked at it, it bothered her. And then she got to feeling something and she went to the doctor and went to this doctor and this doctor took one look at her and gave her, I don't know if it was an MRI or whatever, anyhow, an x-ray, and found a tumor the size of a golf ball behind her eye that was connected to something in the part of her brain. And he said, think about this. She went to the doctor to see what it was. He said, you have a tumor back there. He said, I want you in here tomorrow for surgery. He said, this is so serious. This is so deadly. He said, we need to do surgery tomorrow. And she said her whole life, you know, was turned upside down in a matter of like, you know, this 24 hour period. Her husband had said, one eye looks bigger. And she goes to the doctor the next day and sees this doctor. She came home and she said, I mean, she was devastated when this, because the more she thought about it, she told her husband, what have you. And the doctor said, this thing was the type of tumor that would grow so quick, so fast, it would push her eye out literally out of its socket and it would it'd kill her. It's going to kill her. And she began to, and the doctor said, I want you in tomorrow. And she looked at herself in the mirror and she said she was afraid and she started to cry and she went through all the range of emotions. But then she said, she just started to pray and said, Father, what do you want me to do? And she said, the word of the Lord that came to her was, whose report will you believe? 
And she said, I looked into the Word of God, and she said, I'm, I saw, and I, I was prompted to look and see again that God's Word had promised that my Jesus was a healer. I wish Julie could tell you the story. It was incredible. I wasn't at the meeting, but Julie said there was like 3,000 women, and she said she told the story of all the stuff she went through, and how she woke up the next day, and the surgery was to be 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and she's still going through these things. She woke up the next day, and her eye looked even bigger, you know, and, and she just kept looking, and she, the doctor called and said, I need you in here, and I need you in here now. And she said, Doctor, I'm not coming in for surgery. And he said, you have to come in for surgery. Otherwise, you could literally be, die within, be dead within the week. She said, I've chosen to believe the report of the Lord. Again, see, God doesn't deal with everybody the same. Did you hear me just say that? God doesn't deal with everybody the same. But I mean, that song, she had a fight. This doctor wound up bringing friends to the house uh, and talking to the husband and saying, you don't understand, I need your wife in there now. I need your wife in there now. And she just, and, but she wouldn't, she, God had spoken to her. I mean, it was an incredible thing. She said, no, I believe the report of the Lord. And for the next, something like nothing manifested, but for the next two weeks or three weeks, her eye got so big, in fact, it got big quick, and it was so big, she became evidently looking just like horrific to the point that it was frightening her children, frightening her father, her husband. And the doctor was calling every single day saying, you're going to die, you're going to leave your husband without a wife, you're going to leave your kids without a mother. And she said, God has spoken to me. And she went to bed one night, and yeah, you know the rest of the story. She woke up the next morning totally free, totally healed. No tumor, no nothing. And, uh, but you'd have to hear her, evidently. Julie, Julie said there's like 3,000 women in this conference, and she said there was not one dry eye. And she said, then she sang that song. <laughs> and she said the whole place went berserk because of this issue. Whose report will you believe? Yeah. Because you're going to get reports. But like I said... God doesn't deal with everybody the same. We don't want people running around throwing away their medicine or doing stupid things because the issue is, you see, it's not what God said to somebody else that matters. It's what God says to you. But again, you all have a Bible and you can read. And let's get back to this real quick because I've taken way too much time on that. Paul has made all this statement about these issues. And about, he said, I besought the Lord three times that the Lord might deliver me from this. But the Lord's answer was, my grace and my favor and my loving kindness is enough for you. They're sufficient. And this is, again, why I like to teach grace and the blood covenant so much. Because, again, the word grace in the New Testament or agape is the equivalent to what the Hasid of God is, all the covenant action of God in the old. But now let's just look on the outline again. I... I, I I put, well, let me just read the paragraph under 2 Corinthians 12, 11. We must read this entire passage in context, which is what we just did, to see that Paul is sharing his understandings and observations from a personal vantage point. And then he shares of how God spoke to him about the grace he'd already, already received, which was ample to handle the situation. But notice in both passages of Paul's comments, I didn't read 2 Corinthians 6, but 2 Corinthians 6, verses 4 through 10 is where Paul lists, again, this huge list of all the things he went through. Notice in both passages, sickness is not mentioned. Does that mean he was never tested with it? Of course not, but neither is there any Bible testimony of a continuing illness. Now, well, let me just go ahead. Thorns defined. 
And I think we, well, I actually know it's because I'm teaching this in churches right now. But all through the Bible, you'll find, again, other passages. There's three in particular where it talks about thorns. And it's interesting to know the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. But look at this example on the outline, Numbers 33, verses 50 through 55. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and saying to them, When you are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you. You shall destroy all their pictures, destroy all their molten images, and quite pluck down all their high places. And you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. And you shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families, and to the more you shall give the more inheritance, to the fewer you shall give the, fewer, the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth, according to the tribes of your fathers you shall inherit. But if you will not drive, now we're going to turn the page, if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes, thorns in your side, and they shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. And in Joshua 23, 13, Similarly, know for certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, scourges in your sides, thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Again, 2 Samuel 23, 6, these are just some of them. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. And like I've got down under here, every single time in Scripture, when it speaks about thorns of the flesh, it speaks about human personalities. Do you hear me? Every other passage in Scripture. Paul said, I have a thorn in the flesh. He's talking about these messengers of Satan that came to dilute and to, to destroy the gospel. It's a figure of speech and like I've got down there. Have you ever known anybody that was a pain in the neck? Right? And again, when you read some of this, I laughed when I reread like Bosworth's chapter on thorn in the flesh when it says these Canaanites will be like thorns in your eyes. He said, he said the way people preach it, he said that would mean then that literally there's a Canaanite that's stuck into your eye with his feet dangling out. <laughs> no, 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 no. It speaks of a human personalities. So everywhere else in scripture, I mean, what we're trying to, to get at just as we go over this is Paul's thorn in the flesh. And again, you can read, you've got the book probably Read it for yourself and see that it does not mean this horrific, because they said that Paul had a horrific eye disease and that these scriptures, uh, I'll turn, let me turn there real quick. Galatians 4, that are on the outline here. Galatians 4, verses 13 through 15 is where Paul says this. get my page over there. Galatians 4, 13 through 15, Paul said, and yet, although my physical condition was such a trial to you, you did not regard it with contempt or scorn and loathe and reject me, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus himself. What has become, he said, of the blessed enjoyment and the satisfaction and the self-congratulation that once was yours and what I taught you? And in your regard for me, for I bear you witness that you would have torn out your own eyes and have given them to me to replace mine if that were possible. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth and dealing sincerely with you? So when the King James in that verse says, I bear your record, he said that you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. From that one verse, people, in fact, if you read here, it's in this 
I don't want to take a lot of time, but it is actually humorous if it isn't so sad. It says the fact this is one of the things that the man that this is one of the things that people preached, and this is one of the things that he said. A, a prominent New York clergyman who had a stenographic report created and sent everywhere that Bosworth's revivals were going. And he said, quote, the fact is Paul was sick. He was the sickest of men. He had one of the worst and most painful of oriental diseases. He had ophthalmia, a disease of the eyes. The proof that he had it is overwhelming. He tells us that he had a thorn in the flesh. When Paul stood before the Christians, his eyes filled with unspeakable pus, unspeakable looking matter running down over his face. Why would they have gouged out their eyes for him except that his eyes as he stood before them were a pitiable and appealing sight to them as the eyes of anybody with ophthalmia is. The particular pain of this disease is like that of a stake in the eyes. And he goes all the way down and he, and he shares about all this stuff. And then Bosworth tells how he answers this question. But the point is, <laughs> uh, another, there's another scripture that also, because most people believe that Paul's a writer of Hebrews and also in another place, he says, he see, Paul finishes one of the books by saying, you see with what large letters, he said, I have written unto you. And so they say that he had some horrific eye disease. That's why he wrote in big text. But again, when you read the whole thing and find out, well, again, it's like impossible. But there is truth that he said this. In verse 14, it says, Yet although my physical condition was such a trial to you, you did not regard it with contempt. So he says about his physical condition. But now let me ask you this. I'm not going to go to read the next verse. You can read Acts 14, 19 to 24. It's referred to. The Bible says Paul was stoned. But remember when we read that list, it says he was beaten how many times with stripes? I mean, this man was beaten, uh, stoned, and a lot of people don't know, they see stoning as just people throwing stones. And sometimes that was the case, but if you look in Clark's commentary, the way somebody was stoned to death is they built a wooden structure. They climbed, it was about a 25 foot structure. You climbed up on this structure, they stripped you to the waist, and they bound your hands behind you. They put rocks at the bottom and they pushed you off on top of these rocks. And then they would take rocks and drop rocks upon your body. And when you read in these different commentaries, it says that's how Paul was stoned. Now I'm telling you, if that happened to you, do you think you'd have any scars? <laughs> you know what I mean? I've got, do anybody got scars in their body besides me? And I've got scars, unfortunately, all over me because of my stupid past. But the point is, Paul had gone through hell and back. I mean, he'd been beaten. He'd been stoned. He'd been left for dead. He'd been beaten with rods three times. He'd been beaten with stripes, save, you know, uh, save one, he said, another three times. This stuff was all over him. So to just categorically argue that this was the reason that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. I'm just saying it's wrong. Now, like I said, I'm not doing an exhaustive study on that, but just look at the rest of it for yourself. So we're saying that Paul's thorn, there's no way you can say it was an eye disease categorically whatsoever. Was he ever tempted with sickness and disease? Of course he may have been. But the point is to use this as a total argument against healing is ridiculous. Now, I want to turn to the next page. Like I said, we just got about 10 minutes to finish. And I want to just go over these real quickly. We don't have time to cover them all to say the least. But this talks about seven methods to obtain healing. First of all, we want to declare as we finish this overview of healing that it's God's desire to have healthy kids. Like I said the other day, you know, one of the major reasons God has provided healing, I think, is very simply because God's people need to be healthy to preach God's message. Hallelujah. 
I mean, how can you travel the world? How can you walk miles and miles if you're unhealthy? You just can't do it. God means you're blessed physically, much less blessed with provision for that sake. Again, like I said, if you really see everything from that argument, does God want to reach the lost? I always go back to that because in my opinion, everything about God's blessings has to do with the lost. Does he want to reach the lost? Well, what will scream to the lost when they won't hear our words? Well, again, miracles, healings, they say what words can't say. If we could just see that, I think that would be such a help. And like I said the other day, again, if some people, if the only reason they want to be healed is so they can be more comfortable when they watch the Coronation Street or watch the bill, why would God feel obligated to let that kind of great? Why would the Holy Spirit feel necessary? Or I really feel the faith there. I, I feel this person has the faith. I'm going to release this into their bodies because after all, I want them to be more comfortable when they watch TV. But if there's something in you that burns to let people know that Jesus is alive, that God almost is obligated, I would go as far as to say God's almost obligated to show up because he, when he sees the human heart is really after what he, because see, that's God's heart. That's God's heart. And when he sees his heart in your heart and he sees, I need that this, my son, my daughter needs this because I've seen into their heart. It's gone way past their soul. It's gone way past their personal desire the personal need for more comfort, the personal need for freedom from pain. Uh, and they see that he, because there's too many people that in the midst of pain have gone ahead and been great disciples for Christ. But the funny thing is those people, when even then they learned how to release their faith, God showed up so mightily and, and touched them and healed them. I mean, there's just some people that we admire so much in, the, in, in Christianity that really concern me. I mean, even about evangelism, and I hear again, I don't want to cause a problem, so nobody beat me, and if you're listening to this tape, nobody kill me. But even Mother Teresa, as incredible a woman as she was and how she helped the poor and stuff, a friend of ours worked with her and was with her in hospitals when she would visit the sick and told us over and over again how Mother Teresa, she'd lean in and talk to a person and comfort them. And our friend asked her, she said, and just before these people would die, and she'd ask them, she said, Do you share, did you share the gospel with them? Did you share with them about Jesus and lead them to the Lord? And Mother Teresa turned, she said, oh, no, I never do that. I never do that. She said, that's between them and God. And, you know, I mean, the way people think, you can have so much right in one area. And, I mean, my God, to me, it would be the most natural thing on earth if somebody's about to die to make sure they know Jesus Christ is the Lord. But, again, all in the name of just, see, it can be so... Bless her heart, humanistic. And I'm just saying something, you'd have to, you've got to press past this stuff. But anyway, real quickly, first, uh, third John chapter two, God's word says, Paul, the apostle John said, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. And it means health there. I don't care who's told you otherwise, read a concordance. And I wish above all things, and this is God's spirit prompting this writing, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. So there again is a whole other teaching, isn't there? Your body is going to prosper when your soul prospers. In other words, when this mind gets renewed to the truth, it's going to affect every other part of your being, above all else. Remember what Acts 10, 38 says, God, Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, 
who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. In 1 John 3, 8, it says categorically again, the reason the Son of God was manifested was to destroy, was to destroy, undo, loosen, and dissolve the works that the devil had done. Like I said, I've only got about two minutes. There's various methods of obtaining healing. If you see this list here, please read these on your own. Anointing with oil. In the Bible, you'll see that people are healed through being anointed with oil. An oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. Actually, it's one of the lowest, don't take this wrong, but it's one of the lowest forms of healing, but I enjoy it. It's because it's tangible. When somebody touches you with that oil, there's something that you can feel and it's tangible and it's an, it, it brings you to a remembrance that, a, that the prayers have been there. So, I, I mean, I love to anoint with oil. But anointing with oil, you see that in James 5, 14, 16, call for the elders of the church. They shall anoint you with oil and pray the prayer which is of faith, is the way it should be read. And the Lord shall raise them up. It just flat says the Lord will. It doesn't say the Lord's going to think about it for a month and consider. This is why I said in the Bible there's something else we'll teach sometime. There's a big difference between those who are appointed as elders and those who God sees that are elders in the church. God sees them a bit different. Elders are people that are elders always by reason of the anointing, never by reason of the committee. That's something else. Prayer of agreement, you can get healed through, under, through somebody else that really believes and can come alongside and pray the prayer of agreement with you. You see that in Matthew 18, Amos 3, Deuteronomy 32. The laying on of hands, God's word says again, flat out says it, that those who believe, Jesus said in the Great Commission, in my name you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Gifts of healing, we're going to talk about some of that in the next course through the power of the God's Spirit. Special anointings, we see these things about, again, these special anointings that took place like when handkerchiefs were taken from Paul's body. And then just faith, just speaking it into existence in Mark eleven twenty-five, 25. And believing that you receive. God's provided healing for every believer. And again, I've got to stop her at the end of the tape. Why do some fail to receive healing? And again, please read these for yourselves. Hosea 4, 6 being the most classic, people, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. They perish because they don't have knowledge. So all, when it's all said and done, my friends, we need more information. And then we need the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to take that information and to put it into impartation. Hallelujah. But Father, please help us with this. Again, Lord, we, this is an overview. But Lord, as we go through the notes, as we study it further, we're trusting the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth and to cause us to believe and learn how to release faith about these things and move from hope to expectation to reception. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen. like to obtain more teaching material by Rod Anderson, please visit www.prayerforthenations.com or call us or write to us using the contact details on your CD or cassette case.